Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 51. We received some difficult news last week with fall sports being postponed until the spring and my kids' school is going online. You know I love players putting in work on their own while no one's watching, but I also know it's important to be part of a team and a larger community. So today's motivational interview about overcoming obstacles came at the perfect time. Dre Baldwin is a former professional basketball player turned entrepreneur whose story will inspire you to take setbacks and turn them into fuel for your fire. He tried out for his high school team and didn't make the cut three years in a row. Then he walked on at the D3 level and didn't even play his senior year. And so to learn that he was able to sustain a nine-year pro basketball career is almost unbelievable. He's now a successful author, motivational speaker, podcast host, and online star with over 7,000 YouTube videos. Here's Dre All Day Baldwin. Dre, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to learn from you and be inspired because against all odds, you've had success in the basketball world and the business world. So I'd love to have you share your hoop story and then what you're doing today. Sure. I'll give you the, the two-minute version because there's a two-hour version as well, but I'll give you a two-minute version. My background is from the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, born and raised. was always into sports. started out playing football in the driveway, as many kids do, kickball. Then I went on. The first team that I tried to play on was a football team in Philadelphia, but my parents told me after about two weeks of practicing, the coaches told us, all right, tomorrow come with your equipment. And my parents told me we can't afford equipment. So that was the end of my football career. Then I started playing baseball. My father is a baseball enthusiast. So he was actually coaching a neighborhood baseball team. Despite that, I sucked at baseball and I never got good at it. So after several years of trying to play baseball and failing, one day after I struck out another four times in a game, I walked over to the basketball court, which is right next to the baseball field. And I never left the basketball court. Now, I initially sucked at basketball as well. And that was about age 14. But I just kept playing because I just saw somehow I saw some kind of future in basketball. Delusional or not, I saw some future. Kept working on my game. I was self-taught. My father's 5'9", so he couldn't play basketball. He didn't teach me. I don't have any brothers. Nobody in the neighborhood took me under their wing, none of that. I just kept going to the court and just trying things out. This is no YouTube, no Instagram to go off of, no programs, no nothing. And I just slowly learned how to play basketball. Didn't make my high school varsity team freshman year, didn't make a sophomore year, did not make a junior year. We didn't have a freshman team. We didn't have a JV. Finally made the team as a senior, sat on the bench and averaged two points per game. I blew the world away with two points per game as a senior in high school. So graduating from high school, most people would have said, this kid's going to be successful at something, but it ain't going to be basketball. So I walked on a Division three school called Penn State. Well, then it wasn't even D3. It's called Penn State Abington. Got recruited after my freshman year as a step up to a school called Penn State Altoona. That's the NCAA D3 school. Finished my career there. Left college with no game film, no professional prospects. Didn't have great stats. I had played a lot of power forward my last year in college. So, And I'm 6'4", 185 pounds, so it's not like I was going to play that in the pros. No connections, no information, no nothing. But I managed to hustle my way into pro basketball a year removed from college. So my first year graduating, I worked at Foot Locker as an assistant manager, and I worked at this gym called Valley Total Fitness, selling gym memberships. They're out of business now. Hopefully it wasn't my fault, but I worked at Valley Total Fitness. <laughs> Went to an exposure camp a year after graduating college. Played well at that exposure camp. 
got my first ever really good game footage of myself playing. That footage helped me get my first agent. My agent helped me get my first job playing professional basketball. Then I, I went and played. That was another nine years from then. I was playing professional basketball in and out of the game, sometimes signed, many times unsigned. Because of that, I started focusing more on this content that I had on the internet before we were even calling it content. That footage from that exposure camp I told you about a moment ago, it was on this thing called a VHS tape, which I'm sure, Mike, you and I know about, but many of your listeners probably don't know what that is. So anyone listening, if you're with your parents, go ask your mom or your dad what a VHS tape is. They'll show it to you. So I took that tape, took it to an audiovisual store, got to put on a data CD. I put that data CD in my computer. I uploaded that footage. This is the spring of 2005. So this brand new website that lets you put as much video up there as you want it for free. It was called YouTube.com. That is how I started my second career parallel to my basketball career, unbeknownst to me or anybody else. So around 2008, 2009, when I found myself unemployed again in professional basketball, I said, I need to get some control over my life. I need to start living like an adult. I'm in my mid-20s now. I can't just be in and out of the game, coming back to my parents' house and sleeping on the couch. So I started putting more investment into my website, which I had at the time, putting more content out. YouTube had this new thing called a partner program where they would actually pay you money just to put advertisements on your videos. I signed up for that. I said, yes. And I started creating my own products and services over the next two to three years. So by 2009, 2010, I had my own company called Work On Your Game Incorporated, which I still run to this day. Stopped playing pro basketball in 2015. By that point, I had written about five or six books. Now I'm a full-time entrepreneur since then, running my company Work On Your Game Incorporated and still have all this content that I put out online on all platforms, audio, visual, writing content, do a whole lot of stuff business-wise, which I'm sure we'll talk about. I know I went over two minutes, but I hope that's a good enough encapsulation for everybody. Now, that's a story. You played professional basketball, and you didn't start playing until age 14. In our world of youth sports, if you're not on a great team by the time you're in first grade, it's it's over. You might as well just pack up. You don't have a future. You didn't start playing (laughs) until you were 14, and you didn't have a mentor. You didn't have individual skills coach. Tell me about those early years of playing basketball. Man, those early years of playing basketball. So you know how parents try to keep their kids active. They'd send them to all different sports, try things out. So my mom would send me to basketball tryouts when I was like 12 years old. I never even played basketball. Then I'll get cut from the team, the first cut, obviously. And I come home crying because I was upset that I got cut, even though I had no skills whatsoever. So by the time I started playing every day at age 14, it was just outside on the playground. So I know you're from Seattle, and I know they have a deep basketball culture out there. But where I'm from, Philadelphia, PA, everybody goes to the playgrounds and plays ball. Because between the ages of about 13 to 18, every young man from where I'm from thinks they can play basketball for at least a week. They got at least that one week where they think there's somebody, right? So everybody would be out there. We'd be out there playing, and I was the worst player out there. There were players 11 years old better than me. The girls were better than me. Shout out to the female players. But the girls were better than me, and I just wasn't doing anything. I knew my freshman year of high school that I probably wasn't going to make the team, but I said, let me try out. Maybe I'll get lucky. And I noticed that the coach, he would watch tryouts. He didn't even have an assistant. I'm from city of Philadelphia. My high school's in North Philly. They don't have any funding. So we didn't only have one program and the coach had no assistance. He would watch tryouts. And if somebody made one nice move or one nice shot, he would be like, yeah, get that guy's name. So I said, all right, all I got to do is make one shot. So my freshman year tryouts, I only shot the ball one time. And that shot was a three-pointer. And the ball bounced off the ceiling. So for those of you who don't play basketball, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't make the team that year. My sophomore year, I got cut again. But my junior year, I'm ready to go. Now, I've always been a big reader, Mike. 
So I had read that Michael Jordan didn't make his team, so he was a junior. So at this point, I'm still on track to be a Hall of Famer. So I try out for the team that year. I'm 16. I'm a little bit taller. I'm about 6'1", 6'2". I'm growing into my body. I could dribble a little bit. I could dunk if everybody moved out of the way, and I got a running start. So I'm ready to go. Try out for the team that year, and just bad luck. I get matched up with a senior who was about my height, but he was way stronger than me. I had never lifted weights in my – I didn't lift weights until I got to college. And I had never lifted weights. And this guy just bullied me. He would just post me up. I couldn't move him. He was just made little hook turnaround shots on me. He made about eight shots in a row on me in front of everybody. Because where I'm from in Philly, even the girls come to basketball tryouts just to watch and see who's who. So everybody in the school saw me get embarrassed my junior year. This is when I'm supposed to make the team. So I didn't make the team that year. I played on a local recreational team. I did pretty well on that team. And that's when my confidence started to grow, playing on that local team. Finally made it my senior year of high school, but I was like the backup center. Our tallest guy was like 6'4". So in the city, again, we didn't have size. We didn't recruit players. So at the end of high school, I just knew I wanted to play college ball. But again, I had no prospects. I walked on in my school. I had never been on that campus. I didn't know anyone. Nobody knew me. And I just happened to go into, I guess you could call it a small pond basketball school. It wasn't a big school for ball. None of the players on the team were even big hoop junkies. You know, they played basketball because they were good enough. But none of them had any kind of ambition or aspirations. So when I got there, I would be in the gym playing pickup with the regular students and the guys on the team weren't even in the gym playing pickup. They didn't love basketball. They played because they were good enough. So after my freshman year, here's where I finally got lucky. Well, for the second time, my height was, I guess, was luck as well. But the second time was after my freshman year, the campus I went to is what they call a commuter campus, which means no dorms. So you live at home and you drive up there every day. I would drive to campus in the summer. I wasn't even taking classes just to work on my game by myself. And I'd be in this beautiful, empty gym, six hoops, perfectly clean floor, nobody in there but me, working on my game. And one day I hadn't eaten breakfast. So I walked across campus to get breakfast and some random guy approaches me and says, hey, what position do you play? And I'm looking at this guy crazy because I don't know him. Now this is a Penn State University campus. It's a, a small commuter campus. And I know all the black people on campus. This guy's black. I know I don't know this guy. He's walking up to me asking what position I play. I'm looking at him crazy. And where I'm from, you don't approach people that you don't know and start talking. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm looking at this guy like, huh? So I, all right, how you even know I play? And he said, I'm just asking. Turns out he's a basketball coach at a different campus, at Division Three Penn State Altoona. And I asked him years later how he even knew who I was. He said, I didn't. He said, you just look like the kind of player I needed on my team for the next year. That's how he recruited me. So I got recruited to go to Penn State Altoona, and that's where I ended up finishing my career. Uh, the sad ending to that recruiting story is that coach got fired after my first year playing for him. So he gets replaced by a new coach, a guy by the name of Armin Gilliam, who you probably know of, Mike, played in the NBA for 13 years. Armin Gilliam had a very solid NBA career. He was not a very good coach, but maybe that's just my bias saying that. I ended up out of the basketball program in the middle of my junior year. So my last year and a half of college, I wasn't even on the basketball team. I played intramurals. Now, I did win a championship my intramural year. We won the championship. I averaged about 40 points a game. <laughs> but <laughs> that footage wasn't going to get me playing overseas. So when I graduated from college, I remember coming back home, home, home to my parents' house with a college degree, business degree from Penn State, which is pretty solid, I suppose. And my mother said, all right, what are you going to do now, son? I said, I'm going to be a professional basketball player. <laughs> she just went apoplectic. She was not trying to hear that. This is her son who came home crying because he didn't make the team as a 12-year-old, didn't make his high school team to a senior, didn't play his last year in college. 
how the hell are you going to become a professional basketball player? She said, do you have any prospects? Do you have a job offer? Do you have a, a plan? And the answers were no, no, and no. <laughs> so <laughs> my mom said, listen, you need to go get yourself a job. You need to go make some money so you can get an apartment and move out of here so you can get a car. I had braids at the time. She said, you need to get a haircut. She had a lot of suggestions from my life at that point. And I couldn't say anything back because she was absolutely right. Everything she said was realistically, was absolutely logically correct. All I had in my mind was a delusional dream that maybe I can make this happen. So I bit the bullet for that year. I went and got a job, worked at Foot Locker. Then I worked at Valley Total Fitness, saved up my money, $250 worth, drove. Me and a college teammate drove from Philadelphia to Orlando. It was about a 19-hour drive. Overnight on a Friday, we get to the parking lot of a gym called Lake Brantley Athletic Complex outside of Orlando, Florida at 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning. That's the exact time that this exposure camp began. It's a two-day exposure camp. We had two games each day. I played really well at that camp. I had a bunch of dunks. A lot of people remember me because of the dunks. And the scouting report I got from that and the footage I got from that is what got me started playing. So what I did with that footage, I went and called every agent I could find online. Now, mind you, this is 2004, everyone. This is there's not a lot of websites or organized information. This is when you're just Googling stuff. So I would just Google basketball agents and whatever agent I could find who had an email address or a phone number, I reached out to them, told them, here's who I am. Here's what I've done. I have some collateral now. I had a scouting report to show them and I told them I had video. I'll mail it to you. So I own my own dime. I had a double decker VCR. And for those of you who don't know what a VCR is, Google it. I had a double decker VCR. I made copies of my footage. I went and bought a 10 pack of blank VHS tapes from Eckert Drugstore, and I made copies of my own VHS tapes. I bought the bubble mailers, and I went to the post office, and I mailed those videos out on my own dime. Now, I just told you all that I had to save up $250 just to go to this camp, so I'm not rich at this point. I'm pretty much broke. I had to spend my own money to send that footage out. I sent that footage out to about 20 different agents who said they were interested. One agent, after receiving that tape, called me back. That one agent became my first agent. He's the one who helped me get signed. My first Contract was in Countess, Lithuania in August of 2005. So that's how I got from where I started into professional basketball. And that is amazing. Is the foundation of this basketball story, is it just love for basketball? Because I think about the people that get cut when they're 12 or the people that get cut when they're freshman, sophomore, junior, the people that don't play basketball right after high school. Most of what would have quit. What kept you going? Well, I do love the game of basketball, Mike, but I would have to say something bigger than that is that I love competition. I love the competition factor of it. So not even competing against, like when I get on the court, I was competing against these ghosts. I was competing against the ghosts of the kids in my neighborhood who said, well, you're never going to make varsity. I was competing against the idea of my parents who looked at me crazy when I said I was going to play pro. Competing against the, the coach who kicked me out of the basketball program because we just weren't seeing eye to eye. And again, I didn't think he was very good at what he was doing. So it wasn't competing against the players on the court. I love that part too, but it was competing against just this idea that I thought other people had that I wasn't going to be able to make it. That's really what was driving me. That was the main thing for me was just competing against anything or anyone who thought I wasn't going to be able to make this happen. That pushed me a lot more than just raw love for the game of basketball. And what was that like? Your first contract, you show up in another country. I'm guessing you've never been to Lithuania before. So you show up, you probably don't speak the language. Tell me about your professional basketball experience. When I first got over there, I was a rookie and I made a rookie mistake. The day that I got there, the Lithuanian agent who was working with my American agent asked me, hey, are you ready to play today? And I said, yes, that's a mistake. So any of you ever play overseas, do not play the day that you get off the plane because your legs are dead. 
you're going to have jet lag. You're either going to be dead that day or the next day, either one or both. So I went and played that day, had practice that day. It was fine. I mean, I was probably the most athletic guy in there. I remember the first time I got the ball, we were doing some drill, and I went up and dunked, and the players were like, oh. And it wasn't – I didn't even do anything that great. It was just – I guess they were surprised. But then the coach was asking me to play point guard. I had never played point guard in my life up to that point. And the coach said, run the pick and roll. Now, I had seen a whole bunch of pick and rolls, but I never actually run a pick and roll. So <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just basically played. I was more of a scorer than a passer. So I just went and played, and that went fine. So that after that was done, I went and played on a traveling team in the United States called the Harlem Ambassadors, which is kind of like the Walmart version of the Harlem Globetrotters. So I played for them for like half a season. Then I was in Mexico. I spent the spring and the summer in Mexico. Then from there, I didn't have a job. So I was back in my parents' house. I got another full-time job working at a gym called Philadelphia Sports Clubs, selling gym memberships. In that time, I moved to Miami. I didn't have a job. I was working at just doing training and things like that on the side to make money. That's when I got my next job, which was in Montenegro. Now, Montenegro was a place that I like telling stories from there because the way that season was set up is that we only played games once a week. It was every Saturday we had a game. So Monday through Friday, we were practicing twice a day. And the thing is, when you're an American playing basketball overseas, everybody's looking at you. Everybody notices you, especially if you're the only American on the team. You can't take a day off. Uh, You can't have a bad day. You really can't even afford a bad practice, honestly, because they'll get rid of you because there are hundreds of players who will gladly take your spot if you're not ready to play. So it was there in Montenegro where I started learning to treat the practices like the games because if, if the game comes around, and you don't get in the game. There were games where I wasn't even starting. I was clearly the best player on the team. I wasn't even starting. We lost the game by 20 points. I didn't even get in the game until the second quarter. We were down by 25 by the time I got in the game. And I'm looking at the coach like he's crazy. I didn't say anything to him. But I was looking at him like he's crazy. Like, you know I'm the best player here. Why am I not playing? But this is the kind of stuff that happens sometimes in Europe. It's not like the United States. So there, I just learned to be more of a professional, showing up every day, ready to go. And my game was probably as sharp as it had ever been simply because we were practicing so much and all we did was shooting drills. So my shot was as good as it could possibly be when I was playing there. Uh, actually, before there, I had played in Germany, traveled around Germany a little bit. I learned a lot about selling yourself when I was there because I ended up on a team, then off a team, and I was in limbo, but I didn't want to leave Germany. So I was able to connect with an agent in Germany who then he connected me with more teams after that. So that was really a sales job that I did there. In between all of this time, I went to a bunch of exposure camps that I didn't even bring up. I did the NBA. It was the D-League, then G-League. Now I went to their national camp. I went to a couple of local camps. And it was there that I learned how they will sell you and they'll hustle you if you're not aware of what's going on. These are the kind of things that I help players with to this day. Then I had a couple short stints in uh, Croatia, Slovakia, stopped in England. I think that's it. I went to a lot of places playing ball. And while I was doing all that, that's when I was doing the internet stuff, came up, writing books, and then just getting my ideas for my future. Well, one thing we know about playing professional basketball, or really basketball at any level, is there's going to be a lot of rejection, a lot of failure. How did you handle that? How did you mentally keep coming back after you were let go from teams or didn't have a contract renewed? The biggest thing for me, Mike, is after I ended up off my college team, I'm a junior. So I'm looking at the guys who are still on the team, many of whom are friends of mine to this very day. And I'm saying to myself, I know I'm better than these guys. But I've always tried to look at life as objectively as I possibly can, as much as a human being can be objective. And I told myself the same thing I would tell a player. If a player came to me and said, hey, 
I'm not on the basketball team. I'm in college, but I'm better than everybody on the team. What would I say to that kid? I would say, well, look, you can think whatever you want, but when there's a game, they're playing and you're in the bleachers. So you can't say you're better than them. So I had to tell myself that same thing. So my question was, how can I, for posterity's sake, prove that I was better than these players and that this coach made a mistake? And the only way I could do that, besides going to another college, which I didn't have options to do, mind you, I was playing at a D3 and didn't have great stats, was I need to go pro. So that was my drive to become a professional. So once I became a professional, I started seeing other players who were pro, and I'm like, this guy's not really that good. This guy's not that talented. How did he get a contract? So I just wanted to build a resume. My goal was always to build a resume so that any player who had played ball, unless they were playing in the NBA, they couldn't look down on me and say, hey, well, you didn't do what I did. I wanted to have a resume in basketball to be able to say, look, I came from these very humble beginnings, but I made something out of it. And I can say I've done these things. I didn't just have a cup of coffee. I was actually moving around and doing things out there. That was my drive. So it was more of that competitiveness for me. And so many people are afraid of failure. Tell me what failure means to you and how have you used it to your advantage? There's different ways that we can frame failure. So failure could be you missing a game-winning shot or failure could be you not being on a team or not winning the championship game. A very cliche way of saying it, but you can look at it as a learning experience as long as you keep going. As the saying goes, you don't fail until you quit. As long as you keep going, you don't have to call anything you've done a failure because all it will be is part of the story. And one of the things that I tell people is in life, you can either be a story or you can be a statistic. The statistics say 99% of players who try to play basketball don't never go pro or this percentage of players fail at this or this percentage of books never earn out their advances or whatever stats people want to roll out to tell you how strong the odds are stacked against you. And most people in life become part of the statistics. They're just a number. Nobody ever knows their name. Nobody knows any details about them. But there's a small percentage of people who become what I call the story. And the story are the people who defy the odds, defy the statistics. And because of that, they get to tell their story. They get to tell people, look, I went through this setback, this failure, this didn't work, this coach didn't believe in me, this thing didn't happen, this time it looked like it was completely over for me, but I was still able to make it happen. And if you look around at any people who are publicly noted as being successful or anyone who listens to this who finds yourself as successful, you can agree that you've gone through the same things that people who failed went through. People who quit, you went through the same things that they went through. The only difference between you and them is that you kept going and eventually you got to the point where people noticed your success and they said, how did you do it? And when they ask you how you did it, then you get to tell your story. Everybody on this planet has a story, but not everybody wants to hear everyone's story. The only time anyone wants to hear your story is when you have created success. Once you create success and people know about it, then they want to know how you did it. Then you get to tell your story. So that's the way that I look at failure. So tell me about your training story, because for you to improve drastically so much from the time that you were 14 to being a professional basketball player, your offseason had to have been grueling. What did that training schedule look like for you? Yeah, I don't even really remember having an offseason, Mike, because there's so many times that I was unsigned, like my whole life was an offseason. I treated everything like the offseason. So from the time that I first started playing, I would just go to the court and just do stuff, random stuff, trying to see what would work. But then, let's say when I was in college, I finally got introduced to the weight room and had access to a weight room. So I started lifting weights. And you probably know very well that the first time a young man starts lifting weights, you get results almost immediately. You start seeing quick results. So I liked the results I was getting. I said, all right, let me keep doing this. So I kept lifting weights. But I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I remember one summer, I was trying to get my vertical jump up. So I was doing squats. I had no idea how to do a squat. 
I did not have the right form. I hurt my lower back. So I stopped doing squats for a long time. I didn't start doing any kind of leg lifting like deadlifts. I love deadlifts now, but I didn't start doing that again. So I was an adult because I didn't even know how to, the proper form. I was hurting my back so many times. But then I was just going to the gym and just lift. I would lift a lot. You know, I had big muscles and it looked good on the beach and all of that. But there was a point where this is probably in my late 20s, which for most basketball players is your prime. My body was starting to feel weak. I was starting to feel weaknesses in certain joints and my knees and things like that, my hips, my lower back. And I didn't know why. But I met a trainer, a woman who became my trainer. Her name is Maria. And I met her actually in a yoga class or Pilates class at the gym in South Beach. And I asked her about that. And she explained to me that, yeah, Dre, the reason why you're having these problems is because you're working on the big muscles, the pecs, the biceps, the, the quads, the calves. You're working on these big muscles, but you're not paying any attention to the small muscles. And I didn't know, even know what that meant. I didn't even know what she was talking about. But she would take me through trainings that didn't even feel super rigorous, but my body felt a whole lot stronger. And I said, okay, this is the expertise that I needed. Me as a player, I would never, ever have figured any of the things out that she had me doing. But because I met her, that was able to extend my career. Had I not met her, I might have been done playing by the time I was 30 because I was really starting to have some problems with my joints and Basketball players, you all know, if your back or your knees go, the game's over. So meeting her was one of the biggest saviors of my playing days. So give me some advice for high school players that want to be able to play at the next level. What are some of the big mistakes you're seeing them make? And what are some things they could do to become their best? The biggest thing that I see with players, especially these days, is a lot of times players have too many other things going on. Now, I know there are different sides to this conversation. There's, I believe it was, I don't want to quote the wrong name, but he wrote the book talking about how athletes who focus too much on one sport at a young age, they might burn themselves out by the time they get to a certain age. But at the same time, these days, I think people's attention is divided, especially young people. Their attention is divided into so many different things. And at some point, you're going to have to decide what your focus is going to be. So I remember hearing the story of Shaquille O'Neal talked about when Phil Jackson came to the Lakers. He sat Shaq down and said, hey, do you know what Michael Jordan was doing besides playing basketball? And Shaq didn't know. He said, well, nothing. All he did was play basketball. He wasn't making movies. He wasn't making rap albums. He wasn't chasing endorsement contracts. All he was doing was playing basketball. And everybody knows who Michael Jordan is. Kobe Bryant is another example of that person who was just focused on their craft. And that doesn't mean you had to be in the gym 20 hours a day. It can mean taking the time to rest, staying off your feet, getting proper nutrition, doing film study then working on your game, finding the right people, the right experts. Like I explained, I didn't find an expert. So I was 29, 30 years old. You might be able to find that person when you're 14, 15 years old. Imagine the difference in my life had I met that person, somebody like you, Mike, or my trainer Maria when I was 15, as opposed to being 30, how much longer would I have lasted in the game? So I think for athletes, it's just figuring out your focus. Not necessarily you have to choose a sport, but once you decide that it's going to be basketball, Get the information on what you need to do to get yourself in the right mental space and physical space to be the best possible player that you can be. Because like it or not, uh, this is a super competitive game and everybody is not getting in. Everybody is not getting a scholarship. Not everybody's going to play pro and not everybody's going to get in even if you do get a scholarship and become pro. So you really need to decide what you want to do because you're competing against people who are focused. And if you're not, when you meet, they're going to beat you. And it's not about talent when you get to the pro level. It's much more about the mental approach. And how about playing professional basketball? That seems a little more mysterious. I know there's a lot of people that are going to be finishing up their college careers that want to extend it and play at the next level, but don't even know what the next steps would be. 
What advice do you have to that small college player, even the big college player that wants to be able to play at the next level? Man, well, the most important thing is you got to have some proof of your game. This is the biggest thing that I tell players all the time because overseas teams, uh, they're not going to fly to your college in you know, Jackson, Mississippi or Tampa, Florida or Corona, California to watch you play. All they're going to say is, okay, where'd you play? Or do you have some footage of you playing? Let's see. Like, show us what you can do. Prove it. Show us your stats. And if you don't have any, then how is that team going to get interested in you? So if you're playing in college right now, or if you have a season remaining, make sure you do your thing in the game. I mean, the bottom line in this sport is this is a performance-based business. There are no hacks. There are no, there's no magic trick to this. You have to perform on that court. No amount of marketing, sales ability, hustle, and the Mamba mentality is going to change the fact that you have not performed if you haven't performed. And if you have performed, then the opportunities are going to find you. One of the great things about sports is it is the closest thing to a meritocracy you're going to find in life and that the best performers get the rewards as opposed to in the business world where there's a lot of other factors that can go into it. In the sports world, the performers are the people who get the, the rewards. Usually you don't see a lot of unfairness in sports. Usually the best players are the ones who are getting paid. That's the way that it works. So, and the way that you prove you're the best player is by what you do in the game, not what you do when you're by yourself, not what you do on Instagram what you do in the game with the lights on. So that's the biggest thing I would say to players is you got to have some proof of your game. That's why I love basketball. There's so many great life lessons you can learn. And we know that before basketball players were human beings. So what are one or two life lessons that basketball's taught you? Man, one or two, I'll say the number one thing is discipline. Discipline is showing up every single day and doing your job, doing the work. I mean, I got my discipline from watching my parents every single day. They would wake up early in the morning. A lot of times my father would be gone by the time I woke up to go to work. And they didn't always even have cars. They would take public transportation to go to work for an hour there and an hour back just to make sure they were taking care of their children. And they never lectured us about it or anything like that, but they did it every single day. And I don't know if you're a parent, Mike, but they say as Children, when we grow up, we don't do what our parents said to us. We do what they demonstrated. Whatever they were doing, we do the same thing. So that's where I got my discipline from, from my parents. And then once I got into sports and I realized, man, I thought all athletes showed up every single day and worked out and worked on their games and got focused. I thought every basketball player did that, but I realized very quickly that they didn't. I realized this, this could be an advantage. And if I just showed up every day and did my job, I would have an advantage over other players. So the number one thing that I learned for life was discipline. And number two thing is confidence. In life, people look at you the way that you look at yourself. The way that you present yourself to the world is the way that the world sees you. So when you wake up and you look in the mirror before you leave the house every day, whatever you see is what everyone else is going to see simply because we as humans do not have the time or the bandwidth to dig deep into every person we meet. We judge people on their surface presentation. You present yourself as confident, as somebody to be taken seriously, people will look at you like that. You present yourself as someone not to be taken seriously, that's the way people are going to treat you. That is maybe kind of a Machiavellian way of looking at life, but it's true. Well, discipline's so great because we've obviously seen how it's helped you be successful on the basketball court. But before we started recording, you share with me your daily routine now. And yeah. the whole time I'm thinking that is discipline. If you wouldn't mind, share your weekly schedule now that you've finished your basketball career, but it's transformed into your business life. So I wake up every day between 3.40 and 4 a.m. I don't use an alarm clock. because My body is just trained to do that. First thing that I do, I drink a liter of water. Then I do yoga and meditation, about 10 minutes of yoga and meditation every day. I started doing yoga around 2014 because I was having some lower back issues. And I've been doing yoga. 
I have not had a single lower back issue since I started doing yoga every single day. And again, just 10 minute practice. For breakfast, I eat two bananas and my workout will either be about 20 minutes of weightlifting. I follow some processes that I got from Tim Ferriss's four hour body. So I can get it all in in 20 minutes. Or so I don't play ball anymore, so I run. So I'll run maybe six, seven miles, three or four times a week. Then I'm home, I shower, I have a protein shake. That's pretty much my whole breakfast, the bananas, the water, and the protein shake. After the protein shake, then um, I do a little bit more meditation, then I'm working. So by 7.30, 8 a.m., I'm working. I usually talk to my assistant. She's based in the Philippines. We talk around 9 o'clock every day for about an hour, hour and a half, depending on what we're working on. And other than that, I am creating. So my main skills are creating. So whether that's audio, written, or video content, that's what I like creating most, whether it's something that I'm putting out for free, something that we are going to be selling, or you know, setting ourselves up for me to do some type of presentation, be on a show like yours, go do a speaking gig, things like that. Or I'm just putting together sales funnels, uh, putting sales pages together, talking to clients and customers. That's what I'm doing pretty much from the time I start working, which is around eight to about six o'clock every single day. Then I am usually in bed by 7.30 and lights out by 8 p.m. In bed by 7.30 or eight? How are you supposed to enjoy that Miami nightlife? I got to ask my girlfriend, how do we enjoy the nightlife? <laughs> she said, wonderfully. So <laughs> I'm not really a nightlife guy, you know, Mike. Uh, in college, I got all that out of my system. But after I got out of college, I didn't want to do that anymore. And I was really focused on playing basketball. And I realized that it's kind of hard to play basketball drunk. So I don't do the nightlife. I'm in a relationship. I don't need to go to the club to meet a girl. Usually, I'll be going outside stretching for my run. And I'll see people coming home from the club. But I like it like that. So tell me about what the next stage of your life is. It seems to me like you've always had this next stage, whether you were in high school, you're going to play college or college play pros. And now you have this successful business where you're helping a ton of people work on their game. What is the next step for you? I want to get my name known to more people. There's a reason why I reach out to people like yourself to see how much value we can deliver. Because I know that we have value to offer the people out there in the world. And it's our job as a business is we're in the marketing business. It's our job to make sure other people know what it is that we're offering. It's not their job to find us. It's our job to make sure that we find them. So it's just getting that message out, getting it into the hands of the people who need it, providing as much value as possible, and then telling them, all right, here's the next thing you need. Here's the next thing you need. Here's the next thing you need. But my aim is to build or work on your game into a company that people want to come work for. That people are like, man, I want to be a part of what they have going on over there at Work On Your Game. And we want to be the place that people go for the areas that we choose to focus on. That When people think about that thing, they're coming to us. People want a laptop, they want to go to Apple. People want a, a copy machine, they're going to go to Xerox. People want to learn about the overseas basketball. I have a book about it. Uh, people should come to Work On Your Game. People want to learn the Work On Your Game philosophy. Just like when they, people say, just do it, you know, they're talking about Nike. People say, Work On Your Game, they should be talking about us. What is the work on your game philosophy? It is taking the mindset of the professional athlete and applying it to business, sports, and life. And that is through four principal tenets. One, discipline is showing up every single day to do the work. Number two, the confidence to put yourself out there boldly and authentically. Number three, the mental toughness to continue showing up, doing the work, even when the success you're expecting to achieve has yet to be achieved. And number four, the personal initiative to go and make things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. And that is for three specific types of people. Number one, the person who feels like they have no game and they need some. Number two, the person feels like they have game, but it is not being recognized properly. Or number three, the person who has game 
and they are not showing it when it matters. Meaning the lights come on and they freeze up, they have performance anxiety, or for whatever reason, nobody's paying attention to them, even though they're really good. So those are three people we serve. And where can people find out more about you? I know you have an incredible podcast. I'm glad I got to learn about your daily schedule because I was thinking, does he have more than 24 hours in a day? I mean, the amount of content you put out is unbelievable. So I'd love to hear how our listeners can find out more about Work On Your Game. Sure. Well, I do have a show called Work On Your Game. It's on all platforms. I do have two books that people can get for free if they just cover a small shipping charge. Can I share those? Oh, please. Any ballplayers who want to play professional basketball overseas, I wrote a book called The Overseas Basketball Blueprint. That is the primer for you to know everything you need to do to get started playing professional basketball. Like you said, Mike, a lot of players don't know even what to do first. That's what that book is for. You can get that book for free by going to balloverseas.com. You just cover a small shipping charge. For those of you who are not basketball players or you're looking for something mindset-wise, my book, The Mirror of Motivation, which is the self-guide to self-discipline, you can get that book also free. Just cover a small shipping charge at mirrorofmotivation.com. I love it. And how about social media? Oh, I'm on everything. So whatever platform you like, I'm probably most active. I mean, I'm active on all of them, but Instagram at Dre Baldwin. That's probably the most popular one right now. Twitter at Dre All Day. I'm on YouTube. Just look my name up. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Work on your game. The only thing I'm not on is TikTok, but I'm on everything else. Just look my name up. I'm easy to find. Well, thank you so much for inspiring us and for everything that you do for the basketball community, man. It was great connecting with you. Absolutely. Glad to be here, Mike. Thank you for having me on. Now that's a wrap on episode 51. And I hope you join me next week where I get to interview my friend, Brent Miner, from Pacific University and Max Hoops. He runs camps, clinics, and showcases all over the nation, helping high school players maximize their potential on and off the court. We're going to talk about what traits college coaches are looking for and what athletes can do if they want to play at the next level. But in the meantime, go to hoopcommitment.com and you can get your free basketball nutrition, training, and leadership downloads. And all you who are committed will earn your X.